the fruit of the gospel-centered life, the gospel is what we've been talking about now for seems like weeks, now that I'm finally actually speaking instead of uh, having a missions conference and guest speakers. So uh, we have been talking about the gospel. And I'm like, Pastor, why are we always talking about the gospel? It's funny you should say that. There was a young preacher that came up to George Whitfield, And you, if you don't know anything about George Whitfield, man, you've got to go read the history books about George Whitfield. He used to speak to 40,000 people at a time. And uh, Benjamin Franklin was so taken by how well he communicated to 40,000 people that he built this huge building for him to speak in. And now it's the University of Pittsburgh. So, uh, but they, he built this place so people could come and hear the gospel. And the young preacher said, how can I learn to preach like that? And he looked at the young man and he said this. He said, preach the gospel. He said, preach the gospel in the morning. Preach the gospel in the night. Preach the gospel seven days a week, and you'll start to learn to become a good preacher. That was his only thing he said to him. He said, do that, and you'll succeed. And what he was getting at, it's the gospel that succeeds. The gospel is so important. And when the gospel is central to our lives, it allows things to grow. And that's what we don't realize is the gospel is the soil for growth to happen in our lives. In our lives as, as married folks, in our lives as parents, as our lives as students. We can't succeed in life without the gospel. And that's the problem is we forget how important the gospel is because we get so distracted by everyday living. And so we're, that's why we're focusing on this idea of what is the fruit of the gospel. Well, if I'm living in the gospel daily, what is going to happen? And so today we're going to start to look at the concept of transformation. We all want to transform into something. Some, you know, cars and some other things. We have transformations in all sorts of cartoons now deal with transformation something. You know, it's either transforming into animals or it's either transforming into, you know, wild crafts, right? We transform into something. But we don't transform into what God created us to be. That's a problem. And we want to talk about God's transformation and what does that look like. And so it was such a good text and a blessing. And I'm thankful for Rob reading that whole text to us in its entirety in uh, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. We see so many vital things in this text. And so that's what we're going to discuss and look at. And before we do, let's Pray and ask God to bless his word today. Lord, Lord, it's so easy for people to be distracted by me, to be distracted by food, to be distracted by problems, by people, by things, by relationships. Lord, we can be so distracted, Lord, uh, and so, Lord, we need you. Lord, and I pray that you would use your Holy Spirit now to open our hearts our minds, as, as Jesus said, Lord, that we would have ears to truly hear the important things in your word. As we discuss your word, may your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts, help us to understand, and Lord, to glorify you and to lift up your gospel, the good news of what you have done for us through Christ. 
And Lord, may we never forget and may we live by the gospel every day and see our lives transformed in ways that we can never imagine. We thank you for all that you are doing and you will do that you have promised for us. And may we look to your loving words and your comfort in which you have comforted us through Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We talk about soil. Lord willing, we move into our, well, we don't move into, but we take possession of our new house, a house that was lovingly cared for by the Blekas for many years, and now the Lord has saw fit to allow us to move into that place. And so what a blessing that will be. And uh, it'll be fun as I talk with Tim and Tiffany, and we talk about the soil, and we talk about all those things. Because soil's important. If you don't understand soil, it's hard to grow things. And if you don't grow things correctly, then it's also hard to keep animals alive on that soil because you don't grow things appropriately. And soil's important. I don't know about you, but what you plant in the soil is also very important because it produces certain things. I'll never forget, my wife said, Honey, I I want, because I'm the gardener, She's the, the caretaker. I'm the gardener. So she's like, I, I want um, uh, like snap peas, sweet peas, you know, snap peas. And I was like, okay, great. Yeah, I know what those are. I love them. I pick them. I eat them. They don't eat, half of them don't even make it into the house. And uh, I, they grow up in these. And I was like, I know exactly what they are. And so I went to the store and I bought some. At least I thought I bought some, and I planted them, and I prepped the soil and made sure the soil was all good. And all of a sudden, the plant grew up, and it looked perfect, had the flowers look great, and then the fruit started to grow, and I was like, wait a minute, those are red. (laughs) They're supposed to be green, (laughs) and the peas are inside, right, the pea pods. And I'm like, wait a minute, something is wrong. And, and so you can work on the soil, you can tend to the soil, and you can still plant something wrong. If you're not careful, if you're not paying attention, it's real easy. Those red things, I, we ripped them out of the ground, they kept coming back every year. They volunteered themselves, and I didn't want them. I was like, take them out. It's kind of like bamboo never stops coming back (laughs) so be careful if you grow bamboo you're never going to get rid of it it's 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 crazy but that's what we talk about transformation what kind of fruit are we growing and it really depends on the soil and then it's also what you allow to be introduced to that soil it makes a big difference the gospel is incredible news It's so incredible, but yet we don't talk about it that much. Sometimes we don't even think about it that much, and sometimes we're not cultivating it. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He spent those days, that night and that day, being persecuted, shamed, and just humiliated for us. For us, he, he paid for our sin to rescue us 
from an eternal separation from God. So last week we talked about so we can have an intimate relationship with God. God is so amazing that he would even desire to have an intimate relationship. I am so imperfect, right? I, I am so unworthy of God's love, but yet he wants to have this intimate relationship. And it's amazing how many times I've walked away from God, and yet God's saying, come back to me. And that is just blows my mind, that God saved us from our sins, that he paid for it, and he rescues us from eternal separation. And he rose again and conquered death to give us a new life, to transform us from an old life separated from him to a new life in a relationship with him for eternity, to empower us to love others. Do you realize that the gospel is the empowering agent that allows us to love others? That's so amazing. As we look at this text, it says, if then you have been raised. You notice that? The verb there, have been raised. If we think about transformation, you have to think about two things. That God, when he died on the cross for your sins, and when you heard the call of salvation, come to me, you sinners, and receive forgiveness of your sins. And when you respond to that call and say, here I am, Lord, and I give you my life, and I accept that gift of salvation, what you've done for me, I can no it's no longer about my life, it's about your life. And when you come to him and you respond to that call of salvation, he saves you and you've immediately been transformed and adopted into his family. And that's what the text is talking about. If then you've been raised with Christ, if you've been brought back to life into an intimate relationship with God, then he says what? Seek first the the things that are above. Stop thinking about what was dead. Stop thinking about the life that you had in, in death, but start thinking about this new life that you've been raised in. Set your mind on the things that are above. Uh, it says, look at verse 3, for you have died. Right? If you've accepted Christ as salvation, if you've come to Christ and you've responded to that call and he has saved you, then he says, look, then it's no longer about the former things of life. It's about this new life that I've given for you. I've purchased this new life. Set your mind on that. You've died to the, the former life. You have this new life, right? 1 Corinthians 15, behold, all things are what? Made new in Christ. We, have a new, we are a new creation in Christ. For your life is, I love verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. That means that God no longer sees our sin and condemns us to eternal separation in hell because our life is hidden in Christ. That is so amazing. That's what God has done. But then it goes in, then it says put to death therefore. He now the verb goes from something that has happened in your past to something that we're supposed to continually do. Like it says in verse Five, put to death then. In verse 7, in these things you once walked, so no longer live in them presently. 
in, in the future. And then in verse 10, put on the new self. And God talks about this new transformation. You not only have, you have a new intimate relationship with God, he is once and for all put you into the family of God, but now he says that our lives ought to look differently and we should be transformed into this new life that he's empowered us, he has empowered us to live with him for the rest of eternity. I've never seen this more clearly than in a couple of stories. If you, I love to read missionary stories because I see God's hand working in such drastic ways. One of those stories, a couple of them, if you've never read, read the book, Tortured for Christ, you need to read it. It is uh, a story about Richard Wurmbrand, a German who uh, was put into prison and he preached the gospel every day. He lived and then died by the gospel. Modern day Apostle Paul. Just, uh, you know, people ask me about one of my heroes. He's one of my heroes. I want to live the way that he lived. You had to read it. But the other one that really impacts, impacted me a lot as I read this story was a story of Moses. Moses was um, a man, uh, well, as a young man growing up in Africa in Uganda. He was from the Teso tribe. The Teso tribe was also in an area that was also, um, I got to look at it because I don't think I'll sound it out right, but it, the Karamajong. And the Karamajong, they also, they were all cattle people. They raised cattle for a living. The difference between the Tesso tribe and the Karmajong is the Karmajong believed that all cattle belonged to them. So it didn't matter whether they, that somebody else was taking care of them, they would politely, not really, but they would politely say thank you and take the cattle. And they didn't believe that they were really stealing it because all the cattle belonged to them because they were the cattle gods on the earth. So they had this, yeah, this thing. So, so the Tesso tribe and the Karmajong, they were always at war with each other because the Tesso tribe would raise cattle and the Karmajong would say, thank you, and take the cattle. So one day the Karmajong came into the tribe and they came in and they sprayed up the whole, the whole village with AK-47 fire and scared the, the Tesso tribe and they took the cattle about a thousand plus heads of cattle. Their, the Teso tribe, you know, their whole economic, everything just destroyed. Their whole economy, everything, their whole livelihood uh, was gone. But in the midst of that, Moses' uh, Moses's family had all died through the gunfire. All of them except for him. He was a lone survivor. As you can imagine, as, as Moses was growing up, he had an immense hatred and bitterness for the Karmajong. You can imagine what that was like. Some of you may know what that's like. And there was also this bitter, in the bitterness came a sense of hopelessness. He was very depressed and he was very hopeless. In the midst of all this, God was so he, he blessed Moses so much by bringing in to his village a missionary. And this missionary began to preach the gospel. Moses, hearing the gospel, hearing of what Jesus had done for them, 
He responded to the gospel message and he got saved. The missionary took Moses under his wing because of being an orphan and began to teach him and brought him to the missionary school and started to brought him through high school. And he got a high, good, great high school education, which not a lot of the villagers ever got. In, in all of that, he ended up going to the United States with the missionary and he became a vet of all things. And he began and he got married. He married one of the, the ladies from his tribe and they began to become wealthy in America and became very good vets. In all of this, he ended up deciding that he needed or desired that God had placed it upon his heart to become a missionary back, uh, back to Uganda. In doing that, he went off to Bible college. Uh, he went off to Multnomah uh, Bible College. So where's, I don't know, probably she's downstairs. Where's Charlotte? But uh, there she is. She went to, uh, he went to Multnomah Bible School of the Bible to get a good education in the Bible. So not only could he take care of and teach the Tesso how to take care of the uh, cattle and the animals, but also to share the gospel with the Ugandan people. But what was amazing was as he goes back to the, the tribes in Africa, guess where he went? He didn't go back to the Tesla tribe. He went back to the Karmajan. And he had a burden for them. And it was amazing because everybody's like, why are you going to the tribe that killed your family? And he says, they need to hear the gospel. They need to know what Jesus has done for them. And he went, and the people were shocked because it was very easy to distinguish the Karmajong from the Tesso. It may not be easy for our eyes, but it was easy for them. They were very distinct, different groups of people. And, and they were shocked. They're like, you're Tesso. You should hate us because we take your cattle. It's funny that they knew I was asking, when I heard this story, I asked, and they said, yeah, they knew that the Tesso people hated them for taking their cattle. They knew that it, there was something not right, but they still believed that all the cattle was theirs. And so they, they justified themselves. But they kept asking, like, why are you here? Why don't you go back to your own people? Why are you helping us? And there was something that, took over and transformed Moses' life. And that's what we see in this amazing text. Moses had taken and he had taken and he put to death that bitterness and that anger that he had for the people that had just destroyed his life because he became so infatuated and in love for what Jesus had done for him. And the gospel had completely transformed Moses' life. No longer was he living a life of hopelessness. And he, we, he began to lead the Karamajong tribe to the Lord. You can imagine what effect that had on the Karamajong. There, there was a lot less theft, right? Or there was a lot less taking from the other tribe. There was a, an amazing transformation. See, 
as we think about this idea of transformation, we aren't what we used to be. We are now a child of God. And because we aren't what we used to be, we should experience success in becoming what we ought to be. That is, we ought to be growing in our Christ-likeness. One of the verses that came up in our... uh, on our seminar the Friday night in our Marriage Life Live was in the same verse that we're going to read today in math or in Romans 8. We hear this verse a lot, but Romans 8, 28 and 29, these familiar verses that are often taken out of context. And it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Notice, those who are called, those that have received salvation, then, then this applies, that everything is working out for our good, for our benefit, for those that are called according to God's purpose. Look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Do you notice there? To be conformed into his image. That's the idea of our transformation. As we look at the fruit of the gospel-centered life, it should be one of transformation. We should be different. We should be transformed. Getting to what we see from this text in in Colossians chapter 3 is that the most powerful resource the most powerful resource for transforming us or for transformation is the gospel. Without the gospel, there, can no, there can't be any transformation. Look at the lives of the Israelites. For all those years they spent in the desert, were they transformed? Did they enjoy the promised land? No. There was all, they had to constantly sacrifice. They had to constantly, until there was the knowledge of Christ, until there was this understanding of that God wanted their heart, there was no transformation. The gospel of Jesus is the power that transforms life. We can do all sorts of things in church But without the gospel, there's no transformation. The church can't be transformed into what God wants if there's no gospel. The community can't be transformed if there's no gospel. The gospel is so powerful. Relationships can't be transformed if there's no gospel. Look at Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 16. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16 is one of the main points of this, and that is, for he himself is our peace, who he made us both one and has broken down the flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. The power of the cross is so important. The gospel is so powerful. He himself is our peace. There's no transformation without the gospel. Uh, Philippians 3, Paul says, The one thing I do, I press towards the goal of the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus my Lord. I press on. That's why he 
took the whole life and simplified it to one point. And if we do this one thing, he says, I can be content. Philippians 4.13. I can be content. If I do this one thing, that is pursue Christ. And amazing. That's the whole point. Without Christ, without the gospel, there is no joy. We're going to be running around with our heads cut off, trying to find peace, to find joy, and we're never going to be satisfied without the gospel being what we plant our life in and we keep our life planted in. And all we add to our soil is the gospel of Christ. Otherwise, other things began to grow, and it's not pretty what grows. The weeds just keep coming, and they keep, I mean, we, get, we just keep pulling, right? That's why Jesus said, why God says, put to death, totally put to death our former life. The second thing we can see out of this text is that many, we can ask that question, why don't we see it more in the Christian circles, this transformation? And that is because of this, this simple concept, is that many Christians experience shallow transformation, no transformation, because they have only, they're following the two-door gospel method. You say, Pastor, what is that? The two-door gospel. Well, they've, right? Jesus invited you. He says, hey, I'm here. Come to me, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. And he says, I'm inviting you to become one of my family members, to adopt you into my family. Here I am, and you walk into the house, you respond to the call, you respond to the gospel, the good news, that Jesus paid for your sins, so now you can have a relationship and be invited into his house, and we walk into his house, and we sit down. Or we, go, we walk through the, the gateway of the house, and we go up to this amazing mansion that God has created for us, and is just totally, we're enamored by this amazing life that God has purchased for us, and we go into this amazing mansion and we sit on the doorstep. We see the door of where God wants us to be and then we sit there and we do nothing. That wasn't the point. God invited us in so we can enjoy him. But we're sitting. Or we go back out the door and say, that was great. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And we go through the door, and then we go back out, and I'm going to enjoy the, that dead life that God saved me from. That life that's just going to breed heartache and, and pain and shame and guilt, and it's going to destroy relationships. And, 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 and we, just go, we just have that two-door mentality where I'm going to enjoy God when I die, and I'll go through the other door. And we say the gospel is two doors. I, God saved me, now I can enjoy the life any way I want, and when I die, I'm going to open the other door, and I will spend the rest of eternity with God. That is why we struggle. We don't realize that God saved us, he transformed us into a, a son so we can enjoy a relationship with him and we can grow in that relationship. We can tr our lives can be transformed from a freedom of shame and guilt and bitterness and hopelessness. 
That's why the world is so miserable. And that's why many Christians are miserable. Because they think the world and the things of the world are going to bring them hope. And they say, I'll, I'll wait and when God, when God, when I die, I'll open the other door and I'll enjoy God forever. But God has given you a different life. Corinthians 3, Paul brings this up to the Corinthians. He says, but brothers, could, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He says, you, you're doing nothing. You're not spiritual. You, I can't give you real, like, steak. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to a barbecue and eat a piece of bread or have a salad. Right? That's what I loved about Anissa, man. When we went out to eat, man, she... She didn't order a small little salad. She ordered a steak. I was like, we're getting married. <laughs> she made me an apple pie. I mean, dessert wasn't this little sliver of like sugar or something. It wasn't like, oh, by the way, here's a, here's a piece of crumb. You know, here's an Oreo from, it was an apple pie. It was awesome. And I am so excited because we have apple trees on the property. So <laughs> I'm just waiting for those apple pies to start rolling in. <laughs> I know, expectations, that's horrible. But here's the thing. He's like, guys, you're not enjoying the steak that God has given you. Because you're sitting there going, like baby cows crying for milk. When you should be cutting steak and chewing on it. That's because we follow this two-door principle. We sit and now we just wait to die. We are miserable Christians in a miserable world and we're just sitting there. When all we can be enjoying life differently because of the gospel. That's why God was, that's why Jesus preached the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 through 7. He says, You've heard it said this, but I say this. You've heard it say this, but I say this. You know, you've heard thou shalt not kill, but. And murder, but you know, are you thou shalt not murder? But I say, if you look at somebody with hatred in your heart, you've got murder, you've murdered. It's different. Through the gospel, God has not only given us eternal life, but He has made us a new creation with, with a new purpose. And He's given us the power to live that purpose, which He calls us to enjoy. The gospel also transforms relationships. Those relationships that were dead, the gospel transforms them. Those relationships that were, that were bitter and full of anger and hatred, the only thing that can transform a relationship and restore a relationship is the gospel. If you're not living in the gospel, you're going to have relationships full of bitter and anger. And if you're full of anger and bitterness towards somebody right now, it's because you're not enjoying the fruit of the gospel. He says, put to death those things and then put on. And it's very clear. If we have to put on, it's like a bad habit. If you want to stop chewing your nails, then cut your nails, right? If people are like, ah, oh, I just can't stop, you know, chewing my nails or, you know, or sucking my thumb. You got to put something in its place. We make that mistake all the time as believers. We say, oh, I've got to, I know this is a horrible habit. I've got to stop doing it. Then why do you keep going over to that restaurant, right? 
Why do you keep watching that same kind of movie? Or why do you keep reading that same kind of book? Why do you keep eating that same food? I know, I've got to lose weight. It's like, then why are you still sitting on the couch? <laughs> I'm speaking to myself. <laughs> my, my, my Kedrick always points every time, you know, Josiah, my three-year-old, points at the ice cream. Ice cream, ice cream, right? Or when we go by Costco, pizza, pizza. Costco's pizza to him. And, uh, but, we, but Kedrick, when we drive by, he points, he said, Dad, you should go there every day. He points at the, the anytime fitness place. <laughs> he says, Dad, do you know you can go there and lift? It says, anytime. <sighs> I know, son. <laughs> yeah, you know. It's like, I, you know, I don't have any time, right? And Kedrick is like, you have time, right? He reminds me, he's like, you're sitting on the couch. You have time, right? But it's raining. But there's a, it's inside. <laughs> the gospel transforms our relationships. But we have to use the gospel in order for it to transform our relationship. And it, it transforms our relationships through two things. And that is this. It's what God has done for us through Christ and also uh, and who we are in Christ. I want you to look at something in verse 12 of our text in, in Colossians 3. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones. Did you hear that? Uh, God chose us. He saved us. Do you see? Uh, you're not the last one waiting to be chosen. Isn't that great? I don't know about you, but I hate it. That's you know, that's why, you know, we go and we play ultimate frisbee and girls are sitting there, when am I going to be picked? When am I going to be picked? And I'm usually the last one, too, because I'm the old guy. So, you know, they, but the world, don't you hate being picked last? But do you notice something? We are chosen by God. God saves us. It's what God has done for us. Do you, you know the secret of healthy relationships? is it's based on our relationship with God. We've been chosen by God. We don't have to worry about whether God loves us. We've been chosen by God. God does love us. You don't have to be worried about whether other people love us because God loves you. It's not about whether other people love you. The God of the universe, the creator of this world, has loved you with an everlasting love that he never gives up on you, right? Hebrews chapter 12, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's not only chosen us, but listen to this. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Do you see the new standing we have? Holiness. Where did that come from? I'm not holy. You know why we can have successful relationships? It's because of the gospel. Because we, now we can, be, we can enjoy his holiness. And beloved, we're beloved. It's a term of intimacy. Guys, we have an intimate Father who loves us, who gives us and shares His holiness with us. We're, we can never be perfect, but He shares that holiness with us. We don't, we, have, we don't have to stop trying. Do you realize that many of our relationships, if we apply this principle of the gospel and we stop trying to make a relationship work, guess what happens? The relationship 
works. The harder we try, sometimes the more we destroy relationships because we're doing it under our own power. Put on, then, as God's chosen one and holy and beloved, we should put on who he is. If we are totally in love with our Father who's loved us, we're gonna, he is going to mold us and form us into his image, and we'll begin to love other people the way he's loved us. We can't love other people under our own righteousness, our own power. We'll destroy everybody. We will. Under our own flesh, we will destroy every relationship that we come in contact with. But if we plant our relationships in the gospel, if we are focused on the gospel, we can mend relationships. We can grow in our relationships. It doesn't mean that we're perfect doesn't mean somebody's not going to say something hurtful. It's just that we're not dependent upon what people do or say. We have the God of the universe. We have the gospel in which we've been planted. Grow in the gospel. It makes us successful. The fourth thing is, is dwelling on Christ and his word is the fuel that... that continues to fuel our transformation. In my notes, I had a, it says consumes. I was like, wait a minute, that's wrong. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. It doesn't consume. This is the gospel dwelling on Christ. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Do you know what dwell means? To be at home. Is the word of God at home in your life? If it is, if... If the word of God is dwelling, it's, it's at home, right? You know what it means to be at home. You know, it's like when my dog just runs in, jumps on the couch. He's making himself at home. And then my, my wife goes in there and pff, kicks the dog right off the couch. That's not your bed, right? So my mom's trying to diligently train my dog not to jump on the bed. <laughs> but here's the thing. Are we allowing the Holy Spirit and his word to just come into our life and just be at home? Or are we kicking him? Are we kicking the word of God out of our lives? Off, are we offended by the word of God? Do we not, do we, are we not enjoying the word of God? Maybe it's because it's, it's not welcome in your heart and in your mind. What's amazing, listen to what happens when we make allow the word of God to be at home in our life. Listen to this. It's the fuel, by the way, to transform our lives. Listen at Psalm 19, verses 7 through 8. The law of the Lord is perfect. Psalms 19, 7 and 8. The law of the Lord, talking about the word of God, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It gives us purpose. It gives us life, reviving the Word of God is what gave us the CPR to respond to the Holy Spirit and to be made alive in Christ. The Word of God revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Right? We all sat down in the chair. We want to know that it's sure. Right? There's nothing worse than sitting in a chair and it falling flat. I've done that a few times on a couple chairs. I go and Granted, I jumped back a little too hard, but I landed on the stool and it went... Boom, I went down and I just laughed. But it wasn't sure. 
Life, the world, is not sure. But look at this. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. What does that mean? Rejoicing the heart? Pastor, what is that? Rejoicing the heart. It means it brings joy to your life. Did you know that? You, know, you, you cannot produce any joy. It's impossible. But God in his word can bring joy to your life. Joy is complete happiness no matter what the circumstances are. No matter how bad your relationship is with somebody, the law of the Lord, the precepts are right. Rejoicing in our, bringing joy to the heart. It doesn't depend on, it's only dependent on your relationship with God. Joy comes in the morning. Uh, I never understood that verse. Joy, to me, came at noon. Breakfast started at somewhere around 11. <laughs> I've, turned, I've been reformed or transformed since I moved here. 5.30 comes often in my life now. I think it was preparing for me to move on to a small little ranch <laughs> or farm. 5.30 comes early. Praise the Lord, we're moving closer to town. I don't have to get up. A half, I, I can save a half an hour of sleep time. It's 6 o'clock now <laughs> instead of 5.30. <laughs> But look at this, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, opening our eyes to real wisdom. If you ever want to hear about the completeness of the God's word, read Psalm 119 and underline everything it says the, the word does. You want to know how important God's word is? Read Psalm 119. It is the commentary on how important God's word is. It says there, the sum of God's word is truth. He strengthens us to life. He transforms our life through the word. It is the fuel. Tim Keller said this, all change comes from deepening our understanding of the salvation of Christ and living out our salvation, living it out, in understanding in our, through our hearts. Faith in the gospel restructures and remotivates us. It does. The gospel always remotivates us. And that is the question. What is your heart and mind motivated about? What is it set on? What are you planting in the soil of your life? Your heart, your soul. Is it the gospel are you responding to life issues with the gospel? Because if you're not, then your life truly isn't being transformed. And you're not truly enjoying what God is trying to transform you into. You're fighting it. You can't enjoy it. Uh, this next, this, this outline shows you exactly, it, it's the whole application we don't have time to go through it all this morning. If you want this, because it's not in your notes and there's no way you're going to write all this down, uh, I, the ushers have these notes in the back for you. And it's the life-changing power of the gospel. In our daily life, it, it says up there, I don't know if you can read it, but in preoccupying, apart from the gospel, I'm preoccupied with my own desires, plans, reputation, safety, and convenience. But when we're transformed by the gospel, I'm preoccupied with pleasing and honoring God. 
read John 8, 29. I'm preoccupied with God. So I'm so preoccupied with God that guess what? Those other things don't matter. I have no other desires. I'm not complaining. I complain less. Uh, a few other ones down there. Um, like when I feel negative emotions. Uh, when I'm not thinking and I'm not planted in the gospel and I'm apart from the gospel. Uh, when I'm, uh, I'm, I either suffer... Uh, I suffer them or I allow them, my emotions, to move me to say or do things that I'm going to regret later. That's when we blurt out things to people. But when I'm transformed by the gospel, I draw on the power I have in Christ to wisely manage my emotions, words, and actions. I can go through all of these things this morning, and you will see all the things that you really want in your life and that you complain about and say, I don't have, it comes through the soil of the gospel. And the main point is this. Reflect much on Jesus and his gospel. And guess what? You will reflect much of Jesus and the gospel. And say, well, pastor, why isn't the church full? I will always run people away from church. It's not about me. Because I'm not perfect. I'm going to say something stupid. I'm going to make mistakes. You will run people away from church because you will say something stupid or make a mistake. We will run people away from church. But if we make much of Jesus and his gospel, we will reflect Jesus in the gospel. And this church will be transformed. The only way we are transformed is through the gospel. The only way the church and the body of Christ is transformed is through the gospel. Pray that you'll take that to heart and think about it. What are we reflecting? Because I'm telling you, we can do every program under the sun. And guess what? We'll still chase people away from church. If we don't have the gospel, we have nothing. There is no power why there are a lot of churches. I've seen it. Some of those churches, they say, well, I wish we were like that church because, man, they have a thousand people. I've seen churches come and I've seen churches go. I've seen thousands come and I've seen the thousands destroyed because the power was in their presentation and not the gospel. I've seen churches in their hundreds for, for years that have never died even though the church has turned over. I was doing a, a this and a close. I, you know, I, we, in our, my former church, I was doing a survey of our former church because we had some people that came back and visited a, a few months ago, and they're like, holy cow, the church is so different. And I was going back, and in the 16 years I was there, I did over, th- I did 48 memorial and funeral services, 48. And that wasn't including all the other people that passed away, that they passed away because they, they, and I was looking at that, and I was looking, we had, in 16 years, we had over 200 people come and go through the church. And yet the church is still 100 plus. 
You say, well, the church didn't really grow, and, and it's like, but that's because we look with the wrong eyes. Yeah, the church grew because the people that were there 16 years ago aren't there anymore. The church is different. But it's only different because of those that have come to the Lord and gotten saved. It's not different because of a program. It's different because of the gospel. We want to transform our church. We want to see things alive. The gospel is the only thing that makes people alive. If you feel dead right now and you're struggling in your relationship with God, focus on the gospel. Let the gospel revigorate your relationship with the Lord and realize what you have. Every morning, get up and find the gospel. Read the gospel. Go to 1 Corinthians 15 and read it every morning. Stop focusing on your life and focus on the life that has been given to you in Christ. And you will find more success in your emotions, in your actions, in your attitude, in your daily life, you'll be transformed into the image of Christ and you'll have success because of the gospel. Let's pray.